A voice is heard in Rama, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. But thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children shall come back to their own country. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. It seems a peculiar feast to celebrate during Christmas tide. But of course, Christ was born a child. And how much fitting then that we hear about the gift of life. But course, the way that this world views such life, and then how Christ himself redeems this life, even the life of those murdered boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. Probably need to establish a few facts first from the scriptures uh, before we can really establish that these young boys are truly holy innocents. First fact is that all life is given by God. No matter the circumstances or even the mode of conception, life is knit together in the womb by God. This is the confession of the scriptures. That means all life given by God is valuable, is to be treasured as a first article gift from God the Father. Again, regardless of the circumstance, even life conceived in rape or incest is a life given by God and valuable even in the midst of those terrible circumstances. Also, it should be established that as God knit us together in our mother's womb, David in Psalm 51 also confesses that all conceived of woman is born sinful. In sin, my mother conceived me, David confessed. So those children conceived in the womb, a gift from God, yet are still born in this world and according to the flesh and thus are with sin. One exception, Christ who was incarnate of the, vir of the Virgin Mary but conceived, of course, by the Holy Spirit, not conceived by way of man, thus not inheriting that original sin from Adam. So his conception being unique in the whole history of the world, only his is like that. Maybe not quite. Because that is the way that we are, of course, reconceived, if you like, in the waters of the font in our baptism. Again, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the flesh, but conceived by the Spirit there in the font, given new life of God, sinless, declared forgiven freely for Christ's sake. So all children are a gift from God, conceived in sin, though, and thus under the same judgment of sin that the whole world bears, namely, the wages of sin is death. This is contra some of our Protestant friends who think that children are born innocent, born without sin, until they somehow become aware of their sin and conceive it in themselves, that sin is somehow their own voluntary action and not simply part of their nature as being sinners from birth, or from conception, I should say. And so, those two things being said, we might wonder then how the church has unanimously declared, since at least Prudentius is him in the 4th uh, century, 
that these children, these sons of Bethlehem, these sons of Rachel, of Benjamin and of Judah, that they are truly martyrs for the faith and holy saints of God if they were conceived in sin. And for this, we actually need God's word. This is true for anyone. We can declare no one without sin apart from the declaration of God's word. Indeed, even our own sin is only forgiven freely for the sake of Christ when he declares, I baptize you, I forgive you. Take, eat, take, drink for the forgiveness of sins. It is the word that applies the forgiveness that Christ purchased and won on the cross upon us and actually makes us saints of God by his declaration, not by our deeds, not by our works. So then, how does that relate to these young infants slain to protect Christ or to deflect Herod's wrath and to give free escape so that Jesus, until his time, would come to die at the hands of another Herod or Pilate and chief priests, then he would be kept safe until that day. Here again, it is by holy declaration. They are declared saints of God. But this might be a little bit tricky. This is one of the scriptural means of interpretation that we, as Lutherans, have emphasized that not every Christian church has emphasized, and it's worth um, hearing again. It's that uh, Scripture interprets Scripture. So when we come upon a less clear passage of Holy Scripture, we go to other passages of Scripture to interpret them. So when we stumble upon something that we say, I'm not sure really what's going on here, then we would look to other Scriptures and say, well, we know that children are gifts from God. All life is given by God and to be cherished for that reason alone. But also that all human life is born under sin. And yet, how is it then the church has declared these children saints? In this case, it's context. So, St. Matthew gives us permission to do a little bit of an investigative journey here. Because he quotes Actually, from the beginning of Matthew's gospel all the way through to his baptism, he keeps quoting Old Testament prophecy to show us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy. In this case, from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, which we heard, but we need to read a much larger section and actually look at the context of what's happening in Jeremiah to understand the, the brief portion that Matthew quotes. And from there, then we can establish the eternal status of these children. So he quoted, he said, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. The end. They are no more. They're dead. And Rachel is weeping. But Matthew wants you to remember the rest of the passage, which we did hear, that then the Lord responds to her weeping and crying and says, Cease your weeping. Stop crying. Take the tears from your ears. These children have done a noble work for me. And in fact, that's what Matthew is saying. Now, for that to make sense, we need to know the context of what Jeremiah was speaking of. Rachel was already dead at the time of Jeremiah, just as she was at the time of Matthew. So what was even Jeremiah speaking of but 
the children of Israel, especially those in the region surrounding Jerusalem, which would have been Rachel's children, but those of the tribe of Benjamin, that they were going to be taken into exile in Babylon, which we've been hearing about from Ezekiel um, on Sunday mornings. That they would be taken into exile, in effect, deposed from their land, dying, in a sense, to the land that was their inheritance. But then the Lord promises by way of Jeremiah that yes, Rachel would weep because they would be no more. Those children would be taken away from her. And yet they would be returned, he promises. They will come back from the land of the enemy, that is from Babylon. And there will be hope for the future. The children will come back to their own country, which is true. The Lord did restore after a period of exile, 70 years, brought them back from exile, back to the land that belonged to Jacob and Rachel that land of Benjamin. Now, Matthew would have us also understand that that all Scripture interprets Scripture and that all Scripture testifies of Christ. So the picture of the tribe of Benjamin being taken into exile, Rachel weeping over them, and then they're being returned and restored to her after that exile, after they've done the work that the Lord has established for them, that that was a picture of what those holy innocents were doing in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. That they too had a work to accomplish, that is namely to, def to defer Herod's wrath so that Christ would escape, and then they would be no more. That is, in this case, literally die. But that Rachel would not need to weep forever because they would be restored to her. Here, restored in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Back to their own country, this time, the country that Rachel, too, inhabits, the heavenly country, the new Jerusalem. So from Jeremiah, we know that these young boys would be restored to Rachel there in the resurrection of the body, the resurrection on the last day. And how can they be restored if not by the merit of Christ through his atoning death for them? While Christ has not yet died for them, he will certainly die for them and for the sins of the whole world, even the sins of those who sought their life. This is the key part of the story, is that it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter what they have done or could have done, whether they had sinned or they had not yet sinned. In any case, Christ has died for them. Even before they were yet born, even before they were yet martyred, Christ the animating force of all life was renewing them through his suffering and death on the cross some 30 years later. It's true for those holy innocents. They are declared holy in the blood of Jesus just as you are declared holy in the blood of Jesus. When we die, those who are near us do weep for us. They weep over us just as Rachel wept over those young boys. But while our weeping is but for a moment, joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the resurrection that we, like those innocents, are restored to Rachel, we too will be restored to those who love us when we die in the same time, in the same place. That is, on the last day when Christ comes again and restores all the dead, resurrects us in the body so that we are not no more, but we are forever, eternal. This is actually the answer for us as we face hostility and difficulty, as we face tyrants, even murderous ones like Herod, because we too, like those young boys, are attached to Jesus. 
They were attached, of course, by bloodline, being from Bethlehem, like Jesus being born there, too, of the line and lineage of David, of the house of Jesse, or in this case, the house of Rachel. We don't share that same blood ancestry, but we do have Jesus' name put on us, which means that we will share in all of his sufferings, and he shares in ours, too. He is like us in every way, yet without sin. He is our brother, which means that because he died, then sins are forgiven. And even though we die, yet we shall live, having his life given to us freely as a gift. This is wonderful good news for us at Christmas time to hear that Christ is born, but also that Christ died and Christ risen, raised from the dead for the forgiveness, life, and salvation. So that as we face difficulty, trial, even murderous tyrants, we can face that without fear, knowing that Christ has already He's already saved us, too, just as he had saved those little boys. So you might still hesitate to call those boys holy innocents, certainly not innocent by their behavior. I know two-year-old boys. Not innocent by their birth, either, born in sin, but declared innocent in the blood of the Lamb, just as we are. Thanks be to Jesus in his holy name. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.